Well, good morning. Uh, this is my third time uh, Desert Springs Church, my third visit to Albuquerque. And so in light of those three, I want to share three things that I'm thankful for about your, you all as a church family. Uh, first of all, I'm thankful that uh, as I've come here, it's become really clear in meeting several of you and meeting some leaders that God's word is central. And the center of God's word, Jesus Christ and his grace is central. So you're, you're an open Bible church. Uh, and that's the best kind of church, the only church that can listen to God's voice. So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for your leaders. I've gotten to know uh, several of them over the past few years as I visited here or met up with a few of them at different conferences. I've stayed in touch with some of them and given phone calls or emails to just get advice about wisdom for ministry in general. So I'm just thankful for uh, you all and your leaders and many of you that I've met. And uh, third, I'm thankful uh, that this is the church my brother's at and his family. And I love you guys very much. Hey, Carson. Um, and uh, since I have the longest history in this room with Trent, uh, I can control your view of him in a significant way <laughs> by what I share right now. Uh, but I'll just say this. First Thessalonians, says, First Thessalonians 5 says this. Respect those who labor among you in the Lord. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So knowing Trent for all these years uh, makes it uh, easy for me to do that to him. And I'm sure those of you who know him well, uh, it's easy for you to do that with him as well, to esteem him highly in love because of his work and his life. Well, if you would, would you join me in Matthew chapter 10? We'll be reading beginning in verse 16. And as you're turning there, I want to mention why we're looking at this today. There are two messages that Jesus gives to his followers. There's more than that, of course. Uh, two that stand out prominently can each be summarized by a word. The first would be come, the second would be go. Jesus calls people to come to him to receive life. And having done that, he sends them and says go so that we might share that life in Christ with others. These two messages mark the first and the last words that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. His first words to them are follow me. In other words, come come to me. And as they did that, they would eventually find that Jesus Christ was to be their crucified Savior and risen Lord through whom they'd receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then Jesus' last words to his disciples, his command is go. Go make disciples of all nations. So first come to me, then go to them. So this is your uh, missions Emphasis Week and Missions Emphasis Sunday, and the reason why this week exists is because of that command that Jesus gave. He called people to himself, and then he sent them out. That's why missions exists. Once we come to Jesus for life, he sends us to spread it. And in chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, Matthew shows Jesus preparing his disciples for their future mission. Let's read it together. We'll read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And as we'll see very quickly, this is one of the most sobering chapters of the Bible for those who are Christians or for those who would become Christians. Jesus' words are this. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts 
and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, in light of all of this, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household." Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, immediately before this, Jesus sent his 12 disciples out on what we would call a short-term missions trip. He sent them out, just the few of them, to a smaller portion of the land of Israel for a limited period of time. And then beginning in verse 16 here, what we just read, Jesus is lifting the horizon. And he's speaking to his disciples not only about their short-term mission, but he's using that as training ground. He begins speaking about their future mission after he dies and rises again and sends them out. And it's the mission that continues for thousands of years now, 2,000 years almost. So in other words, Jesus is not here any longer in these verses focused on just a few disciples sent for a short time to a small portion of Israel. He begins speaking about all Christians going to all nations for all time until he returns. And that means this text is for us. 
today as the mission continues. Matthew has given this text to tell us that if you're a Christian or if you become one, then following Jesus will be a path with difficulty and spreading the good news about him will be resisted. And so my hope this morning is that Jesus' words here as we hear them, my hope is that they would cause us and strengthen us to value him above all things so that we would be able to endure any and all forms of suffering for his sake as we partner together to take the gospel to every and any people group. Well, this text answers three questions about missions. The first question, what should we expect? Second question, how do we endure? And third, what is our role? So the first question is, what should we expect? And there's two answers that we find here to this question. The first answer is that we should expect suffering. Verse 16 is clear. Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now we know what happens when you put sheep in the midst of wolves. And notice that this is not just suffering in general. It's not just suffering for being a Christian. This is the suffering that comes as the disciples of Jesus Christ those who follow him, obey his commission to go, to bring the gospel to other people. Jesus is sending, the disciples will go, and suffering will come. We see several different sources of this suffering. First, it's going to be, there's going to be suffering from religious authorities. Verse 17 says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts, and flog you in their synagogues. Now, the courts and synagogues here are Jewish courts and worship centers. So Jesus is speaking of the kind of persecution that the church would face in its first generation by the leaders of the Jewish people. And let's think about this. These were the people in that first century who had the Bible. They studied the Bible. They taught the Bible. They were, were seeking at one level to live morally upright lives. These were the kinds of people who were first resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So following Jesus got those Christians in trouble with these religious authorities. Second, suffering will come from government authorities. Verse 18, <coughs> excuse me, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. So as the gospel spread beyond the Jewish nation, it then went to non-Jewish peoples, Gentiles, and as it went there, it was faced with resistance as well. The Christians suffered persecution as well, and they were brought to government authorities. We see the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, for instance, have this happen to him several times, and he's brought before kings and leaders to give witness to Jesus Christ. So this means that some governments will view the message of Christianity or aspects of it as anti-constitutional, anti-societal. They will view it as perhaps labeled as hate speech. It will be against the government. It will be considered offensive. Third, suffering will come from one's own family. Verse 21 is to me one of the saddest verses in the scriptures. Jesus says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, 
and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Jesus will later in this text say that a person's enemies will be found not outside, but not just outside, but also from within one's own household. I remember reading this text to my young boys. They're four, three, and one. And we usually read the Bible before tucking them in to bed. And we read this text one evening. And it was very sobering because I was sitting there with my boys listening to Jesus say that some boys will want their daddies to be killed. Some fathers will want their children to be killed because of Jesus. And so I'm sitting here with my boys Uh, No doubt many families that Jesus is talking about had early moments just as precious as the one I felt to be experiencing in that very moment. And Jesus says these sobering words. And this is reality for many Christians around the globe today and has been last week and will be next week and has been for hundreds of years. I have a friend in another country who told me about a friend of his who would invite him, my friend, and some other Christians over for dinner regularly. And she would, she would ask them that if they would please stay, not just for dinner, but if they would stay through the whole evening until her family went to bed. And she said this because um, if her friend stayed until her family went to bed, then she wouldn't get beaten that night. But if her friends went home after dinner and she was left alone with her family, they would beat her. And so this is recent. This is a friend of mine, and that's just one little, little glimpse and snapshot of what's really going on in many places around the globe and has been, and Jesus' words tell us will continue. And notice the words Jesus used here. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death. Delivering over to whom is the question, and for what? Well, for death, and in context, this is delivering over to the government being delivered over for official execution. So here's what this means. Jesus is anticipating that some governments, within some governments, being a Christian will become a capital offense. There will be an official death sentence for being a Christian. And Jesus is also anticipating that those who are informers or informants of the government will be within the families of Christians and they'll turn their own family members over, a father, his son, or a daughter, her mother. So being beaten from religious people, death from government leaders, betrayal from family members, what is left after all of that? Verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So this is what we are getting into as Christians with missions. This is what Jesus said about missions and he was right about all of this. Experience has proven it to be true. Every day Christians suffer and die in these ways. And so this is missions emphasis, Sunday and week. And as part of what it means to focus on missions then is to remember the cost. But though there is a cost, and we should expect suffering, that's not what missions is actually about. There is something else that we can expect, something that infinitely outweighs all of this cost. Yes, we expect suffering, but we also expect spreading. The spreading of the gospel, 
to be brought within earshot of every people group on the planet. A key word in this section is the word witness. You can see it with me back in verse 18. Jesus says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. So witnessing is the ultimate work of missions. Christians are witnesses. Missionaries are witnesses. They bear witness to the truth of Jesus, that he lived the perfect life we failed to live, to fail to live, he's died in our place for our sins, the guilty death that you and I all deserve to die. And he was resurrected in triumphant glory and he reigns right now as king and he'll return again one day. In all that we've seen so far in this text, it's clear that witness, the witness of Christians is the reason for the suffering. Bearing witness to this Jesus in this way, is what results in persecution and suffering. But notice here that our witness about Jesus isn't just what leads to suffering. Suffering itself leads to more witness. Jesus says that Christians are brought before governors and kings. Do you see this? In order to bear witness. So the suffering creates a new opportunity. So our witness isn't just the reason for suffering, it's also the result of suffering. Consider what happened to the Apostle Paul. Throughout the book of Acts, we see him beaten and brought before leaders and kings, and then he has the opportunity to bear witness to them and all who hear about Jesus. Listen to what he wrote to the Christians in Philippi. While he was in prison at Rome, perhaps waiting to be executed. He said, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served, what has happened to all the suffering, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So His witness resulted in suffering, and that suffering resulted in witness. Persecution doesn't stifle the gospel. It spreads it further. As Paul himself said, in essence, in one place, you can chain the Christian, but you cannot chain the gospel. It will spread. And this is not an uncertain hope. It's not an uncertain result. One of the only other times in the Gospel of Matthew that this word witness is used is Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, literally a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel has been spreading, this gospel is spreading, this gospel will spread. It's spreading in Albuquerque in your areas around here, it's spreading in Indianapolis where I'm from, it's spreading to other nations and unreached people groups and it won't stop because Jesus guarantees it and the suffering will not hinder it. So this is what we can expect, both suffering and spreading. Well now the second question is, how do we endure? How do we endure this kind of suffering and persecution. And that is what we must do. In the midst of all of this suffering, Jesus says back in verse 23, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So perseverance in the faith through suffering is not something that Jesus envisions. 
as only applying to super-Christians. This is normal Christianity. And the kind of endurance he calls for is a courageous endurance. There's a repeated refrain in this next section. We see it in verse 26. Jesus says, have no fear of them. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Verse 31, fear not. So these are commands for God's people to have a firmness of heart, a resilience of spirit, an inner fortitude and strength and unwaveringness in the midst of all of this. So how do we get this? Or if we step back and ask a few more questions, how will we pray for our missionaries to have this kind of endurance and courage in the face of whatever suffering they may receive? Or how do you, as you think about perhaps going as a missionary, and you think of all the possible things that you would lose in going or all the suffering you would gain in going, how do you take the, all that fear that's right there and and press that down with an over, overpowering confidence and courage so that you're enabled to actually go? How do, you, how do we pray for one another? How do we endure this? How do we endure this if the persecution suffering we have in our own lives is ramped up? Well, Jesus gives us at least five reasons for courage. Five realities that if we deeply embrace them, believe them, will have courage to endure. First, <coughs> Jesus says, we know where history is heading. Verse 26, so have no fear of them. Well, why? Here's the reason. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, that may sound somewhat cryptic at first. We're staring at the prospect of death here. And the first reason that Jesus gives is this. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Here's the point. A day is coming when Jesus will return and everything he told his disciples, everything he's told his people about himself and the world will be broadcast and publicly known. There will no, no longer be any doubts about the identity of King Jesus. Every knee will bow before him. He is coming and what he revealed in secret to his disciples will be broadcast to everyone. And if this is true then, how wise it is to do what Jesus says here, to proclaim from the housetops this truth ahead of time. And not only how wise, but how loving. How loving to tell people before King Jesus comes that today they can be reconciled to him. They can have the forgiveness of sins and trusting in their crucified and risen Lord. Mission is a loving thing. Here's a second reason Jesus gives for endurance. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, what's the motivation here? It's this. Jesus is saying, people are going to kill you, but don't fear, because that's the worst they can do. The worst they can do is kill you. In other words, don't be afraid, you can only be killed. Now, 
that as a motivation uh, would fall flat and not have any real function in our hearts unless everything else that Jesus has said is actually true. This will only give us courage to endure if there is a greater fear than the fear of death and if there is a greater gain than simply staying alive. And Jesus says there is. Beyond death, there is an eternal death to be feared. And beyond this life, there is an eternal life to be gained. What Jesus is doing here is he's speaking to our values. And our values are are often connected to our fears. Fear is how we respond when our greatest values are being threatened. No one is afraid when something they don't care about or don't value is going to be taken away. Right? You didn't want it anyways. But there is a fear that rises when something precious to you is being taken away. Right? When your family might be in harm. When death is on the horizon. And Jesus is calling us to ask the question, do you value your life and all of its comforts more than you value me? Do you fear physical death more than you fear eternal death. And he says to us, I'm better. So have no fear. They can take your life and you still have me now and forever. Third, third reason for courage, we have God as our father. When persecution and suffering comes, we will be tempted often to doubt God's control or his care. Maybe one or the other, maybe both. And isn't that often what happens when suffering comes into our lives? Do you feel this way when some significant wave of suffering comes over your life? You wonder, how could God let this happen to you? Is he actually in control? Or if you hold fast to that truth, then you'll think, does he care? How could he let this happen to my life if he cares? It seems like a contradiction for God to be caring and let this happen. But Jesus calls God our father here. And by calling him our father, and then we see in what he says next, he's bringing together God's control and his care for us, even in the midst of suffering. Verse 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. So God is in control and God cares through persecution. Consider the sparrows, he says. Every bird that has ever fallen to the ground has fallen within God's will. Consider your hair. God has them all numbered. So here's the logic. If a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from God's will, and if your hair won't fall to the ground apart from God's will, then do you think you will fall to the ground apart from God's will. If God is in control of these little things, is he not in control of your own life? And it's not just about his control, it's about his care. Because you notice he said, you know, two sparrows sold for a penny. And how much more value are you? If he is that intimately involved with birds, how much more does he have a fatherly heart of affection for you? He is in control and he does care for you. He's a sovereign and loving father. Fourth, we have a greater approval. Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, 
I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus says there are two sources of, of approval here. One source of approval is the whole realm of family, friends, coworkers, classmates, teammates, teachers. That's one source. The other source of approval is Jesus and his Father. And the approval for each of these may come very differently. The approval from, pe- from people may only come at times at the cost of denying Jesus Christ and being silent of him. I mean, none of this persecution that we've read here in this chapter would come if Christians would just keep their mouth shut, right? If we would just stay silent and not follow Jesus as radically as he calls us to and not open our mouths out of wisdom and love sharing with others, none of this would happen here. So approval from people may only come at the cost of denying Jesus. Being acknowledged by Jesus to the Father, though, comes as a result of acknowledging Christ to others. What Christ will say on that coming day is in keeping with what we say in these present days. This is because true faith goes public. It's part of its nature to do that. If we're truly trusting Christ as our Savior, acknowledging him as our Lord and King, then in the moments of potential disapproval, by friends or by peers, our faith will prove true. We'll acknowledge Christ, we won't deny him, we won't be silent about him. So if we're ever in a situation where we're faced with a decision to acknowledge Christ as our savior or to deny him, Jesus reminds us where the greater approval comes from. To be approved by people is to be infinitely outweighed by the approval of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 37 gives us a fifth motivation. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is talking here about our highest values and our deepest loves. And he's seeking to overturn them or reorient them appropriately. So the question here is, will Jesus be our greatest treasure, our highest value, our deepest love, or will that be given to someone else, really to any other thing? And Jesus is pressing us to decide this because this at bottom is the reason that will cause us to endure. The only way that we'll be able to endure all of these things or any of these things that Jesus said will come to us for his sake, will be if he really is deeply and truly our highest love. Jesus is wanting to enter our lives in such a way that our love for him pushes down and under him every other love we have so that Jesus is our highest. He doesn't, in other words, leave us with the option of having a moderate love for him. So the fifth motivation we could say is this, we have Christ and this is a motivation for us and will give us courage to endure if having Christ is our greatest treasure because if we have Christ, then we can lose everything else and we still have our greatest treasure. Now, if you're here this morning and Jesus has not become your 
greatest love, then that can happen right now. That can happen this very morning. And if you're a Christian here and you are fearful or needing endurance to live without fear, of acknowledging Jesus and what may happen, then the way that you'll get the endurance is by seeing the value of Jesus. And what is his value? How do we come to love him like this? Well, Jesus' disciples faced much suffering. One of them was the apostle John. And John said that we come to love him like this. He said it's we love because he first loved us. So we'll love Christ like this when we see his love for us first. So look back with what he said in verse 25 with me. He said, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? So Jesus is the master of the house. He's the king of creation. He's the ruler of the world. He's our master and he has the power, as he said, to acknowledge us before the Father or deny us to the Father. This is Jesus, King Jesus. And yet, notice what he says here. He's drawing attention to the fact that Jesus, as the master of the house, has been maligned. And that any suffering his people will face, he's already undergone. He himself has received this suffering. And he says that all that will happen to us already happened to him, but infinitely worse, and for us and for our salvation. Right? Jesus was delivered over to the courts and flogged. Jesus was dragged before governors, the ruler Pilate, Pilate and condemned. Jesus was rejected by his own family. They called him crazy. He was rejected. He was betrayed by a friend of his delivered over to death and he was hated by all and as he hung on the cross he did not receive the acknowledgement from his father he was denied as he cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me and through it all he endured with resilience for our sake he did that so that all the promises we have this morning that are our only hope he did that so that all of those could be true for us though we don't even deserve them to be and the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that we read the word cross is in this text in verse 38. He says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The cross, as many of you know, is an instrument of torture and death. And we'll need to endure our crosses of suffering, but only because Jesus first endured the cross of suffering for us. He endured eternal suffering and death so that the heaviest cross we have to bear is death. All the suffering he gave is nothing compared to the weight of suffering, or all the suffering he promised that would come to us is nothing compared to the suffering that we actually deserve. But we get this with a father who loves us, with a savior who died for us, with a savior who will acknowledge us before him because he died on the cross for us, crucified for our sins. And seeing Jesus this way, that's what will push him up in our hearts to have the highest place of honor and treasure and will therefore cause us to endure the loss of anything for him. Well, in the last few minutes here, let's ask a final question. What is our role? What's our role in mission, missions? The final 
few verses lead us to consider three things. First, our role is, before anything else, to receive Jesus. Verse 40 says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So as these disciples take the gospel out, Jesus is saying that those who receive them will be receiving him. And this is because those who spread the gospel are representatives of Jesus. There is agents to receive them is to receive their message. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus talked about the disciples going out and he says, those who welcome you are those who listen to your words. So we, re we receive the messenger, we receive the message, the word of Christ, the crucified savior for sinners and we receive him as our highest love. So therefore the first thing that we're called to do is to receive him this way, to receive his message that though we are all sinners that have fallen short of him, Jesus Christ died for us. He lived the life that all of us have not lived and he died in our place and he rose again. And so this morning Jesus is speaking to us the message of his grace to receive. Second, our role is to support what we could call gospel messengers, right? missionaries, messengers who bring the gospel who spread the good news of Jesus. Jesus says, whoever receives you. So he's sending out these disciples to go spread the gospel and he's saying people need to receive you, not just your message. They can't stiff arm you and receive the message. There's, there's a wedding between the two of them. They receive your message and they receive you. Not all of them will. Clearly, this chapter shows there's going to be a lot of rejection. But those who receive the message are called to receive the messengers these gospel messengers. So Jesus' vision here is for there to be Christians traveling around, spreading the gospel to people who need to hear it, to unreached people groups that need to hear it, to other cultures that need to hear it, to family, friends, and neighbors that need to hear it. And his, his vision here is for others to be welcoming them. And this is hospitality language. It's to receive and care for and provide for someone. Notice verse 42 says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, will by no means lose his reward. So he's saying these little disciples, that's often what he calls uh, little ones. He refers to disciples and missionaries throughout the Gospel of Matthew, saying as they go, you're to receive them and care for them. So 3 John verse 5 is one of the clearest places in the New Testament that talks about what this looks like. And I think you all do this very well as a church from what I can tell, so I commend you in this and encourage you all the more. It says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, although we know receiving much persecution. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. So we're to partner together to support those to go take the gospel to other people. Now finally, our role is to go. Some of us will need to be raised up believing these promises with an enduring courage to go to those who have not heard the gospel, to unreached people groups, to partner with other missionaries. And the rest of us will need to support them and send them and care for them, and some of us to go with them. 
And we also see here, though, that the rest of us will not only support those who go, but we have a mission of our own to endure because Jesus is sending all his disciples to go. We are at the ends of the earth in a context where the gospel still needed to be spread. And so Jesus has still sent us as his disciples to make more disciples. So we're all called to be missionaries where we are. He sent us to do this. And even if persecution and suffering ramps up in coming years, we have his promises to endure. So, whatever the cost there is, whatever we lose in being faithful to Jesus and in love spreading the gospel to others, Jesus promises, in essence, to make up all that loss with more of himself. More of himself now and more of himself later. And if he's our treasure, that's enough. And what a great gift that is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as our Father who is sovereign over our lives and caring about every detail in our lives. We thank you for giving us yourself in Jesus so that we might have a treasure above all treasures to endure the loss of any other thing. And we pray that you would cause us, cause Desert Springs Church to be faithful and resilient in spreading the gospel to others for the joy of all people groups. In Christ's name, amen.